Welcome to In the Wake with Whitley. Here on this podcast, we cover mental health, life lessons, mindset growth, and tons of storytelling. Together, we'll laugh, we'll cry, and everything in between. I'm your host, Whitley Rogers. I'm a certified life coach and mental health advocate. I'm also a survivor of sexual and mental abuse. I'm here to open up those conversations that are normally uncomfortable or hush-hush in society. Keep listening for bits and pieces of my personal journey and insights along with other interviewees. All right, I am back this week. I have a guest here with me today, and I actually was thinking about doing an episode on codependency for a while because I wanted to dive deeper into the topic for myself for selfish reasons, but then I was able to connect with Aubrey and this was one of her topics that she talks about and I was so excited because I don't feel like I know enough to really dive deep. I have someone here that is more experienced with it, so I'm super excited to talk with her today. So I will let you introduce yourself a little bit. Who are you and what is your story? Thank you so much for having me. My name is Aubrey Henderson. I am a self-worth coach. So I work with primarily women and folks in the LGBTQ plus community who struggle with issues of self-worth kind of under that big umbrella. So that can be anything from self-confidence, to struggling with people pleasing, to having issues in relationships and with boundaries, which is where kind of codependency comes in. But, you know, anything under that self-worth umbrella is kind of my wheelhouse. And so I do that through one-on-one coaching. I do that in my podcast. And that is what really lights me up and the work that excites me. When I think about the question of what's my story, it really, really informs kind of how I got here and why I do this work. I coach around self-worth mostly because about six years ago, I found myself in a toxic, abusive relationship in a place where I didn't recognize myself anymore. And a lot of that was from this place of codependency. That's ultimately really what I was struggling with. And when I was able to find a name for that, and when I was able to kind of move forward and begin to heal from that and see kind of how powerful the changes in my life were as I recognized that that's what was happening and, you know, move forward with intention to change the way I was being in the world, it really had kind of a transformative effect on my life. And so it's really important to me to be able to help other folks to do the same, whether that's in this specific area of codependency or people pleasing, or whether that's kind of a broader sense of cultivating a really strong sense of self-worth and and self-compassion. I love that. I had recently listened to your people-pleasing little mini-series on your podcast, and I thought it was amazing, and it really helped me. So I love the work that you're doing, and I appreciate you being here. Okay, so for those that are unfamiliar with the term, what does codependency mean? What does it look like to be in a codependent relationship? At its simplest terms, codependency is the need to be needed. Basically, this shows up a lot in romantic relationships, also in, in familial relationships, but it's the experience where you're in a relationship and you you need to be needed by the other person. So for me, the way that was showing up is I was in a relationship where I was 
partnered with somebody who was really deep in substance abuse and addiction and really struggling with that. And that was the source of a lot of unhealthy relationship dynamics. For a long time, I viewed it as, oh, this person is struggling with addiction and that's why our relationship is so bad. When in reality, there's, there was a part that I was playing by feeding into this codependency where I was getting something out of being in a relationship with someone who was struggling, having a difficult time because I felt that he needed me. Mm. And that was giving me kind of a sense of purpose in that relationship. That's what was keeping me in the relationship. And so what we were doing is me needing him to need me then causes me to kind of feed whatever it is that's making him need me, in which cases his addiction, his substance abuse, something that's harmful to him and harmful to people around him, but that's keeping him in a place where he needs me. It's lumped in often with addiction, with substance abuse, because it's similar you know, a lot of people will talk about codependency as an addiction to feeling needed by other people. And so it's, yeah. it's cyclical. It's where you end up kind of feeding each other in this way. And it's a classic kind of way that you see this is with partners of folks who are who are struggling with addiction. And it's there actually is 12 step recovery programs similar to if you're recovering from an addiction to drugs or alcohol, there's also a very active codependency recovery 12 step community out there because it can be viewed through a very similar lens of addiction of you're getting something out of being needed by another person. I have heard it used with codependency in the conversations around addiction. Do you think that it is always tied to addiction or can it just be in a relationship without an addict? I think it does not have to necessarily include someone who's experiencing addiction or substance abuse. I think I've heard it in conversations around someone who is maybe struggling with challenge with their mental health more broadly. It can just be used for being in partnership with somebody who just is having a difficult time or with somebody who just requires a lot of emotional support. And really, I think the interesting thing that's like the key factor for codependency, and I think people will apply this label really broadly, right? Like you'll hear it kind of tossed around and also incorrectly, like people will say, oh, we're we're so codependent with each other, which really is like somebody making a joke about relying on someone or being really close with someone Mm -hmm. when really it's about sourcing your identity from someone needing you. And I think that can apply broadly beyond addiction, beyond mental health. That can just be a relationship dynamic where one person is positioned to not really be able to function without the other person, which when you think about it is deeply unhealthy for both people. Yeah, it kind of sounds like enabling. Yes, it definitely is is related. I think enabling can be a part of codependency. It can be a part of what continues to feed that person their addiction or whatever their challenges that they're experiencing. If, if you're taking steps that are enabling them to continue in that and continue in those behaviors, you're also encouraging them to continue the behaviors that keep them dependent upon you. It's kind of that toxic cycle. It sounds like it could keep them stuck if you are always running in to save the day and, I mean, like, save them from this place, this low point that they're in, whatever they're needing help with, instead of them helping themselves. Right. I do think that that is a big part of it. And all of this, too, caveat to say that folks who are struggling with addiction, who are struggling with their mental health, it's, of course, not simply a like, if I stop enabling them, they'll magically heal from addiction. It's like, obviously, a a bigger thing that requires a lot of different types of support. But it is something to be mindful of, because in codependency, there is, whether it's conscious or not, there's often this 
fear of, well, if this person heals, if they get better, and I think this is something that a lot of people who are in the throes of codependency would never dream of saying, because often codependency, it shows up in a relationship where you really love and care about someone deeply. Right. But there is this underlying belief often that if the person gets well, if the person is able to care for themselves, then you as the codependent will be discarded because you won't be needed anymore. There's that fear of rejection if the person gets well. And so whether consciously or subconsciously, codependent behavior then keeps that other person unwell. Oftentimes, it kind of keeps them in this place where you're not going to encourage things that help that person to not need you anymore, because there's that fear. If they don't need me, they won't want me. And so I will be rejected or left behind. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So that phrase, needing to be needed, is that almost like this fixer, like wanting to come in, save the day, fix your problems? Is that where needing to be needed comes in? Yeah, I I think that can be a lot of it. I mean, I think people have, there are infinite different stories that people come into codependency with, right? And there are different ways that this is rooted. I'm somebody who tends to believe that a lot of the shit that shows up for us in adulthood is is kind of coming from something that happened in childhood or something that was true for us in childhood. And that the way we show up as adults are a function of how we got our needs met as kids. Oftentimes, what I see in my work with my clients, what's true for me, I mean, I can just share even my personal story with this, is that I grew up in a family that was a lot of conflict and chaos. My parents were divorced when I was very young. We were raised in a household by a single mom who was a badass, but also was juggling at that point four kids on her own. My father struggled with substance abuse issues. And there was a lot of like mental health stuff going on across all members of my family, myself included. And so my role as the oldest child, and not because anybody placed me in this role, right? Not because anybody said to me, like, you have to do this. But the role I stepped into as the oldest child of a single parent was that I stepped into a caregiver role. I stepped into a role where I was like, the way I am going to be and have a role and a place in this family and add value is that I'm going to make sure everyone else is okay. I see this with so many of my clients, and it's often one of two ways. It's often either the caretaker mentality, which often leads people more in the direction of this codependency place of needing to be needed, or it's the peacekeeper reduced conflict mentality, which takes people not always to codependency, but often to another type of work that I do, which I think is related, but not the same, which is around people pleasing, right? It's right. kind of a broader, more pervasive. I think some codependency behaviors fall under that big umbrella of people pleasing, but I think way more humans can probably relate to the experience of making sure everyone's happy and making sure every everything is all right and I'm not rocking the boat too much. But for me and for a lot of my clients, I think there's this piece of like, it's all kind of sourced from, you can trace it back to some early life experience where you learned that the role and the way that you add value for the people that you love and also the way then because what your brain as a child tells you is like this is how I get love this is how I get taken care of is that I take care of other people right for me into adulthood I definitely took that to be true have I went through a pretty significant stretch of time where I was being drawn romantically to people who needed to be cared for And I saw that and was magnetized to it because I knew how I fit in that dynamic. I knew exactly where I fit in a dynamic with a person who was struggling with their mental health, who was struggling with depression, who was struggling with addiction, who had just been through a divorce, who was in deep in grief. 
my role was to care for them and make them feel better. Mm-hmm. And also because I knew what slot I was filling, what purpose I was serving in a relationship where someone else was hurting. And I see now that in a relationship where someone is healthy and well, I didn't know what purpose I served. I didn't yeah. know what I had to add to that because, you know, I wasn't seeing myself as somebody who could just add value to a relationship simply by being. Interesting. I'm sorry you had to go through that. And so happy that you're no longer in that situation and you're able to help people from the other side. That's amazing. So I'm curious, we touched on probably a few, what you think like stigmas or just misunderstandings people have about codependent relationships. Let's bust some of those myths. So I think a lot of people think of codependency. This is something I see a lot in my work. And I work primarily with women, but I do work with some folks who would not identify as women and kind of like across the gender spectrum. But there is this idea, I think, that someone who is a codependent is likely to be a woman and that that role is always filled by women. And I think a lot of that is kind of the societal view we have of women as caretakers. But there are, I both in my work with clients, in my own kind of healing recovery journey, and just meeting humans in the world, there are a ton of, and I think this is there's particular stigma for men, there are a lot of men who are in this codependent role where they have a, an identified person in their life that they are filling a need for, and they're going through this experience. And so we have kind of the picture in our minds whether that's gender, whether that's something else, we have the picture in our mind of who the typical codependent person is and that it's this subservient type of role. Codependency can look a lot of different ways is I guess what I'm trying to say. It can, you know, a lot of different personality types can struggle with this. I remember sharing that label very early in my own journey, probably like five, six years ago with a friend of mine who was like, no, but you're so strong and like opinionated and you can't be codependent. So for me, that that was interesting and illuminating. And I think it goes to this the same way that folks kind of throw around this term in a similar way to how people will say like, oh, I'm so OCD about having my bookshelf organized a certain way. As someone who also has a diagnosis of OCD, that (laughs) really grates on my nerves. Yeah. But it's kind of misusing these terms in like a sort of glib way that actually creates kind of misperception about what those terms actually mean. And I think You know, we think about codependency as somebody being like a subservient, quiet, meek person, and only that person can be codependent when really it's it's an experience that I think can happen across all kinds of different identity markers, personality traits, and is really just about how you show up in in relationships. Right. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's important information to also include when talking about the definition of what It is not. Why is codependency considered unhealthy, harmful, or just a toxic relationship? I think for me, and so the side I tend to work on, and we've already talked about how it's harmful for the person who, especially if you've got a person who's struggling with a mental health issue, who's struggling with addiction, and they're they're perhaps not getting treatment or not getting support because they have this one person who is supposed to fulfill all their needs. That's obviously harmful for that person. And we want that person to be able to get the support and the help that they need and deserve. But I think where I focus most of my work is working with the person who would identify themselves as codependent. And I mean, I think it's harmful for that person because often, and this is the same thing that I, I will share with folks who struggle with people pleasing, is that ultimately what you're doing when you're sourcing your identity from someone else needing you, 
someone else liking you, someone else approving of you, is that you are getting more and more disconnected from who and what you actually are. Hmm. So the more you're focusing on, I'm going to meet this other person's needs, I'm going to support this other person with whatever they need from me, I'm going to be whoever they need me to be, I'm going to show up as the person who's going to make the least waves in this environment. What happens is we spend so much time focusing on that that we actually we become disconnected from our own beliefs, our own needs, our own desires in a way that is something that I end up working with clients to have to heal, to have to go back and really reconnect with those things. I'll talk to someone who's really, really struggling with codependency and I'll ask them, what is it that you need right now? What is it that you want right now? And they will actually answer back to me with what someone else needs or wants. This actually happens where the answer is like, well, it would be great if my kids could just have this thing. Or, you know, it would be great if my partner would just finally go to a 12-step meeting. Or, you know, there are answers about other people's needs. And sure, would those things impact the person? It's not totally out of left field what they're saying. It makes sense that those things, yes, might have a positive impact. But like, that's not what I ask. What I ask is you deeply, what do you want and need? And we get so detached from that, that then the healing work becomes reconnecting, which is a big part of how I approach this work with clients. It sounds like them themselves, like their identity is in relation to like their relationships in relation to how they are needed by someone else. And it's really tied to the people around them rather than their identity being about themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. We begin to kind of source our meaning and source our identity from what other people around us need, which I think too is a big part of the reason why it's a toxic and it's an unhealthy pattern is because you're constantly kind of seeking that approval. You're constantly fishing for what other people, what they want, what they need. You have no idea what it is that you need. And then also your sense of self, your sense of worthiness can then be taken away like that, like instantly just by someone else having an opinion about you that isn't 100% positive or someone else wanting to remain connected with you. It's this idea that like someone setting a boundary with a person who is codependent can feel catastrophic. It can feel world ending because they're cutting off the way that you're sourcing your identity and your sense of self. And so that's also a big important part of this work is making sure that you're sourcing that from somewhere else so that it's not on such shaky ground to be relying on someone else. Right. Like you need that source internally. Whereas if you're in an unhealthy relationship, your sense of self-worth, you're getting that externally from your identity in the relationship. Exactly. Exactly. I know I always say like in my own healing from like an unhealthy relationship, an abusive relationship, I have really had to like take my power back because I was finding a sense of fulfillment and happiness from my ex. And so when you put that much power in someone else's hands to fill you up and make you happy, like they also have the power to take that away or to break you down and make you feel the opposite. And so moving into like healthy relationships and dating after that, it's really been about finding that energy source within myself first. Like I am happy by myself. A relationship is just a bonus. It makes me happier. It's not my source of happiness or worth. 
Yes, and that's so important. And I know because in the not so distant past, I've been the person who would be listening to this and be like, yeah, okay, like both of you can say that, but that's easier said than done. Like that's not an easy thing to do, which is true. But I think it all goes back to me when I was able to reflect and see that I was showing up in relationships, not thinking of myself as adding value simply by being me. I did not believe that me in a relationship added anything beyond filling a gap or a deficit. To me, that was the only thing I brought was, oh, I can help someone, support someone when they're having like a really shitty time in their life. But there was no part of me that believed if this person is healthy and well and just wants to be in a relationship with you, my response would be, well, why? Because I think there was that I truly did not believe about myself. And that's where the self-worth piece ties into this is I did not believe about myself that I could bring value to a relationship with someone else enough for them to want to keep me around. And so right. instead, I, you know, behaviorally came up with this way to say like, oh, someone will want to keep me around because I like keep their life moving forward. I help them function. So like they need me. They're not going to abandon me. They're not going to reject me. Mm-hmm. And so I think seeing that, I was really able to say like, hold on, how am I really thinking and believing about myself and my own value if I think I have nothing to offer? And I think when I reframed that, I thought about the relationships in my life. And, you know, I did have, of course, relationships where this codependency was showing up, but I also had relationships with friends and with members of my family who were healthy and well and who wanted to keep me around anyway, because turns out I'm a person who has my own value and good qualities and things that are positive. And so I think it wasn't, it wasn't having to come up with those things from scratch, but instead really just identifying and really reconnecting with those things about me that are good and the things that I bring in into the world and into my relationships that are positive beyond me just filling a deficit or a gap for someone else. So I have a question I'm curious. If it can go almost like both ways, like both people in the relationship being codependent upon each other, because I know we talked about the example of a person who has an addiction and then the person who is codependent with that person, but can it go both ways? Meaning like, can the codependency go both ways where there are like two people who both need to be needed by the other? Yes. That's a really good question. I mean, I think it definitely could. I think the more traditional conceptualization is you have the person who needs and the person who is needed. But if we think about relationships as a whole and how they work, even in unhealthy relationships, there is some level of mutuality. There is some level of back and forth. And so I do think it could be that there are two people who are kind of coming to a relationship with that same approach from that same place of, you know, needing to source their security and their identity in the relationship and being needed from the other person. I I think it it could be that. I don't necessarily know how that would look playing out in practice, but I Mm -hmm. think it's definitely possible. Interesting. And so like you kind of mentioned, you were in this codependent relationship, but your like familial relationships or maybe other friendships weren't necessarily codependent. Do you find that to be a reoccurring pattern that like it is one or a few relationships that are this unhealthy codependency and then there can be other relationships in their lives that are pretty healthy? Or is it the opposite where you find that a lot of their close relationships are pretty codependent? 
This one depends largely on the person. I think everybody experiences their relationships a little differently and approaches them differently. I think often from what I've seen, there usually is one or maybe maybe a couple of relationships where that codependency dynamic really shows itself. I think often for folks who are struggling with codependency, who are, who are experiencing this and working through it, it shows up in like a real way, in a big way in one or two relationships. But then it also informs more subtly kind of the way you move through the world right. and the way that you're kind of showing up in general. So it is going to show up kind of across the board in your relationships. Now, that might not be like, I'll use myself as an example again. When I was in my my most kind of prominent example of a codependent relationship, I was partnered with this person, but I also had a bunch of friendships in my life at that time where I wasn't necessarily playing out the codependency dynamic with them. I didn't feel like a need to be needed by them. But there was this sense for me of this sort of pervasive insecurity about Mm -hmm. my place in my relationships. There's this kind of underlying thought for me. And that's this is also a lot of the work that I do with clients is thinking about what the underlying thought or the underlying fear is underneath that. And so in my codependent relationships, it was, okay, I, I need him to need me or else if he doesn't need me, he'll leave me. That was That's the thought, the tape that's kind of playing in my mind, right? Right. But in my friendships, there was, if someone was kind to me, if someone went above and beyond to do something helpful for me or show up for me, my immediate response was like, why are they doing this? What's the motivation underneath this? Or like, okay, I'm uncomfortable that they've done something for me. I need to do something to like one up them or like return the favor plus some because there's this feeling of constantly feeling like you're on shaky ground in your relationships and even in the ones where that dynamic isn't playing out in a really exaggerated way. There is the feeling of what purpose am I serving? What's my positionality in the relationship? And you're hyper aware of what those dynamics are. So I think it's less of a that same dynamic showing up in every relationship, but I think there is the underlying bubble of thought that happens under the surface for folks who are struggling with this that kind of expands past that identified relationship. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I'm also curious. I am just like picking your brain about all of this. Oh, that's okay. So we kind of talked about, you know, you mentioned your own story about being a child and taking that caregiver role, or we've talked about romantic relationships or even friendships. What about the opposite of a parent Mm. being codependent, like that enmeshment with your children Mm. and feeling like you should always be needed by them? Yeah. I mean, I think this one comes up a lot. And it's interesting for me because I have my own family journey is a complex one and I think is one that I'm pretty open about. And that's really interesting because I think for me personally, like, you know, I talk with my mom specifically all the time about what challenges were for us growing up and things that were difficult. And we were pretty open with each other about that. I think for a lot of folks, this codependency dynamic, I hear most about it in in a romantic relationship or like intimate partner relationship setting because there is that kind of like life enmeshment that happens. But I do think probably second most frequent or common relationship configuration is sort of that parent child or like the family member in general that you're kind of a caretaker for. Immediately, I think for me, when I think of enabling, I don't know about you, but I automatically think of a parent enabling a child. And I don't know why that's the example that pops to mind because it's not my personal frame of reference. Maybe it's because I watched way too much of that show Intervention. (laughs) 
I think can be really common, especially because with the parent-child dynamic, there is that feeling of responsibility for another beyond kind of just what the codependency dynamic is, but also what our societal, cultural view on like a relationship between a parent and a child is. And that a parent's job is to take care of their child and above all else and to make sure that they're okay and that all of their needs are met. And then you reach the space of adulthood where like, and especially in like young to mid-adulthood where maybe that's the dynamic there is a little different or nebulous. And then as a parent gets older, kind of the dominant cultural conversation is like, okay, well, then you should take care of your parents when they get older. And the child then becomes the caregiver. And it can be really muddy to pull apart when we start thinking about like, oh, I see that there's some codependency happening here. I'm noticing that I walk away from these interactions feeling exhausted, feeling drained, and even identifying that it is codependency that's playing out, even identifying that it is something that's not super healthy is really hard because you have to pull apart like, well, what is, I'm doing air quotes, but this is a podcast, what is quote, (laughs) normal parent-child dynamic and what is crossing a boundary? What is enmeshment is the word that you use, which I think is is a great term, but this idea of like not knowing where someone else's needs end and my needs begin of not having those boundaries. I think that can be really challenging and that's a space where this plays out a lot and where I hear when folks struggle with boundary setting, boundary setting with parents or boundary setting with kids and with family members is really tough because there is Mm -hmm. so much of that history that you're building on. There's so much of that formative. You learned to be who you are in the world a lot of the time from that family of origin and from your place in that family. And so to grow into a person that you want to be that might look a little different from that can be really difficult because you have to begin to kind of parse apart those things that are really kind of like messily intertwined a lot of the time. Right. Interesting. That's so interesting. Okay. So how does one break free from codependency? Like what does healing and recovery look like? This is something where it can be really different for everyone. But I think the main thing that I would say across the board is healing from codependency requires support outside of yourself. I truly believe that. And I think, you know, it all depends on you and kind of what your identified needs are. So if you're somebody who can tie your codependency back to like a trauma that you need to unpack, if there's a mental health concern that you have going on along with the codependency, I probably for that person would recommend therapy, seeing somebody who's licensed as a therapist and working through some of that stuff. It is a lot of self-work that I think is necessary for that. I think for someone who recognizes that they're in this pattern and it's not necessarily attached to trauma, but it is like setting a goal of wanting to be in the world in a different way, I would say that could be working with a therapist. That could also be working with a coach. A lot of folks I know who have specifically identified deeply with codependency beyond just like the broader people pleasing, but like codependency, and especially in the context of codependency in a relationship with someone who struggles with addiction, the 12 step universe has been really, really helpful for folks. It was helpful Mm -hmm. for me very early on in my journey to kind of be in that space with other humans who weren't in my immediate sphere of life, but who had had that same experience being with other people who could immediately connect with what I was going through and who had been there and who were on maybe a different place in their own journey, but were on the same journey as me, I think was a game changer. But I think what all of those things do is really allow you to reflect on the why underneath codependency. 
Because I think it's one thing just to say, oh, the need to be needed, that's me. That's what I'm doing. I think that moment is huge. I think it takes a lot of people a lifetime to get there. Some people don't even get there of looking at what's going on in their life and realizing like, this hurts, this is painful, this is harmful, this isn't working, I'm exhausted what is going on and then being able to name oh my god this is I mean I remember learning about this word codependency and what the actual meaning of it was not what I had heard people casually use for years and being like holy crap this is me there's Mm -hmm. a name for this there's a name for what I'm doing and reading about it a book that I really recommend to folks is Codependent No More by Melody Beatty I like quote from it pull from it all the time she is an amazing resource on codependency and she has written a ton of books but that one is like a great primer and is my favorite. But just to be able to take even a tiny step back and recognize this is what's happening and reflect on why and to reflect on, okay, this is the pattern that's coming up for me. These are the things that happened for me in early life where I'm I'm getting a need met here. The need to be needed, I'm getting that need met somehow. And I think this is key, is approaching it with compassion. I think folks mm. who struggle with codependency, it's so easy to practice compassion for other people. And it's really hard to apply that same compassion to ourselves. For me, the the framing of everything that we do as adults was born out of something. And often when it's a pattern we've had for most of our lives, it's something that was probably born out of the way you got your needs met as a child. And so an exercise that I have my clients do all the time when they're struggling with self-judgment, when they're like, why am I this way? Why am I doing this? Like, I know that this is killing me. Like, this is destroying my relationships. It's destroying my mental health. Why am I doing this? And why can't I stop? An exercise that I'll have folks do when they get into that place is to imagine themselves as a four-year-old child standing in Mm. front of them. And to remember that often, and for codependency especially, the place that these behaviors are coming from, the source of why we are showing up in this way in the world is self-protective. And it's self-protective of that four-year-old child that you're imagining in front of you, that four-year-old version of you who wants to be loved, who wants to be safe, who wants to be protected, and who wants to feel secure. And we're recognizing now as adults, it's not meeting our needs anymore. That pattern, that behavior, it might have been adaptive at a different time. It got us to this point. It's not serving us anymore. And that doesn't mean that we need to regard that four-year-old child trying to get their needs met as being wrong, being bad, whatever it is, however you're regarding yourself. But And often imagining that version of yourself is like a very emotional exercise, but something that evokes more self-compassion, that evokes more tenderness towards yourself as you're you're working to understand why this is happening, why you kind of are moving around the world in this way and in your relationships and start to think about, okay, if I want to honor this inner child, if I want to do right by this inner child, what does protecting them actually look like? It looks like setting boundaries in my relationships. It looks like recognizing that I have inherent value beyond just solving someone else's problems or beyond just fulfilling someone else's needs, but that I have needs and they matter. And looking at your four-year-old self and saying you have needs and they matter. I think you talking about getting to the root of it is probably so crucial so that it, you don't keep repeating these patterns. And it probably takes a lot of finding your sense of worth, self-worth work, being compassionate, boundaries, probably lots of boundary work. And yeah, just really disrupting and breaking those patterns. Absolutely. So what do you want listeners to take away from this episode? And further, what would you say to someone struggling with this? 
you're not alone. I mean, that also is a huge sentiment of 12-step recovery culture, but you're not, you're not alone in this. You're not the only person who's doing this, who's struggled with this. And so that means that there are, there are resources out there to support you. And there are stories of other folks who have been through something similar and who are working to change the patterns in their lives. Something that I really would want to say to someone who is struggling with codependency, who maybe is just in the place of like, okay, I'm recognizing this is a pattern for me and it's, it's hard and I don't want to do it anymore, but I don't know what the alternative is. I think a lot of folks struggle with this idea of I'm either going to be codependent or I'm going to like put two middle fingers up to the whole world and say, I don't care about anybody but myself. So those are like very different ends of totally different spectrums, I think. And what's important to me in my work with clients and to remind folks is that moving to a place where you're setting boundaries, where you're honoring yourself, where you're protecting your energy, and where you're reconnecting with your own needs and your own desires does not mean that you cannot still be a person who is loving and who is kind to other people. It does not mean that you cannot be a nurturing person. I think I struggled with that personally for a long time. I do get a lot of my identity from being someone who's warm and nurturing and caring and who creates and holds space for others. And I think I feared that setting boundaries would mean that I couldn't be that anymore, that I'd have to close myself off. I would just say that for anybody who's afraid of what it would mean to set boundaries, to not be codependent, to not exist in this way and to do something different, the alternative does not have to be closing yourself off. You can choose to keep the parts of yourself that are loving and caring toward others. You can still be a caring person. You can love people deeply and you can still have really solid boundaries while you do that. Right. That's a really important key point that probably people have a hard time with. So thank you. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. If people want to reach out and connect with you, work with you, where can they find you? Yeah. So the place that I'm the most active and you can read and learn more about me is probably on Instagram. So Mm -hmm. I'm on Instagram at Aubrey. So it's spelled A, four H's, B-R-E-E. Aubrey. And then you can also find me on my website. It's AubreyHenderson.com. And then you can also listen to me on my podcast. So it's called Ask Aubrey. My name's spelled A-U-B-R-E-E. You can find that pretty much anywhere that podcast lives. Awesome. So I will have those in the show notes below for anyone that is wanting to connect. So to close this episode, I always end with a little song recommendation. So do you have a song that deeply resonates with you and your story? I had to think about this a lot because I'm somebody who also really connects with music. I'm the person who, and I'm, I know I'm not the only person who does this, you probably do too, where I like imagine like what music I would put over like a movie montage of my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think the song that has had the most significant meaning for me and that I have carried through multiple seasons of my life is songs called Chicago. It's by Sufjan Stevens. So I first learned of this song way back when I was in high school and I, some friends performed it like a ska version of it at a variety show. And then I just enjoyed the song and carried it through different parts of my life. And it's had sort of different meanings for me. But in the chorus, there is this line that feels really simple, but I think has been an anchoring sentiment for me and in my life, which is really 
really, it's just three words, all things grow. Mm. And I mean, it's also just a beautiful song. I really enjoy Yes, She's done a lot, very talented. But that line is really, really meaningful to me. And just thinking about kind of my approach to life, that things are always growing and changing and that every human has the potential to continue to grow. Yeah, I love that. I love that so much. Thank you. Again, thank you for being here today and sharing your story and all of your wisdom. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. All right. That's all we have for you guys today. Thanks for listening and tune in next time. I hope this podcast left you feeling empowered, better understood, and less alone in this crazy thing called life. If you like what you hear, leave a rating or review and share it with your friends. Thanks for listening and tune in next time.